what's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast this week. I am your host, Matt Guest. Woo! With me out in Vegas is Matt Morris. What is up, buddy? How are you doing? Huge week for the pod. We are all the way back with a lot of action. Yeah, man. We uh, we hit our 1,000 followers on TikTok, which we've been uh, striving yeah. for, for quite some time. A while. A while. A um, couple yeah. millennials trying to figure out TikTok <laughs> who... Our millennials that aren't big, like you and I, social media has been a challenge for us just in general because we don't, we're not big posters. So it's a big moment for us for sure, bro. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, it allows us to do a lot more things online and have an online presence where, you know, we don't just have to sit down and record every single day and, you know, put our effort into the podcast really more so than not. It's now we have the opportunity to jump on. Every single day, uh, you, can, you can be on TikTok and go live. And those that are listening, you know, we're going to try to be on there every single day, just talking about what everything is relevant. Um, and I think that's going to be a good opportunity for us to have just that much more of a platform, um, you know. And we'll we'll try to figure out the live portion of that as well, because as yes. you said, we don't have the most technologically friendly uh, millennial minds, but there's a lot to cover today and you know, and a lot of opportunity for us even over the last couple of days to really dissect some of this stuff on social media. And I think you can look for more of that in the future. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well said. Um, obviously big thanks to you guys as well. Like that's, that's what we do. It is for our listeners, obviously for ourselves, we want to grow this platform and for everyone that listens to every episode all the time, you know what our goals are and what we're trying to do. Uh, just one step in the right direction. I think it got us both a little more reinvigorated to record tonight and Baseball playoffs are here as well, which helps even more topics. Obviously, we're going to dive into week six, what happened in week five. But what we're actually going to kick the podcast off with is Matt did a pretty nice in-depth analysis of everything that you need to know for the NL and AL division series coming up here. So, Matt, let's not beat around the bush here. We got a lot to go over with. Let's jump right to baseball. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of kick it off with uh, pre-series expectations for the NL and AL um, DSs here. I think when we looked at Astros and we looked at Mariners, we kind of felt pretty strongly coming into the series that the Mariners were hot. They were a nice team to watch. But the real question is, could they match up with Houston's arsenal being the starting pitching? If you look at the Mariners, it's really been Luis Castillo to kind of ride them over the last two months. He did get the big extension. He has pitched absolutely phenomenally. But the question was beyond him, can Robbie Ray step up and really help the Mariners in this five-game series? And we got our answer today. That answer was equivocally <laughs> no. You know, you yeah. spoke a little bit to me about the the umpire behind the plate today being one of the most hitter-friendly um, umpires in the game. And you talked about how balls and strikes were being called very, very much so in the hitter's perspective. Verlander struggled a little bit to find the, the black of the plate. Wasn't being given that. Um, and we saw that in an eight to seven game today. But Jordan Alvarez in the bottom of the ninth coming up with that three-run walk-off home run just, again, proves how valuable he is. And that was one of my takeaways from this game one was, you know, he is an experienced player in this game. He's battled injuries all season long to the dismay of betters, fantasy managers all the way throughout. But I said to you before we jumped on today, that is, this is exactly why you were safe with him all season. He had that hand injury, which kind of prevented him from having the power stroke, especially in the second half of the season. But Dusty Baker was very, very careful with him so that he would be ready in a moment exactly like today. And he does take Robbie Ray deep. Um, I, I was very impressed overall with what we've seen from the Astros and the Mariners so far in the in the postseason. But 
this is going to be a really, really good series. Uh, my big takeaway is going to be for Houston. I think they kind of have an ace in their bullpen right now with Hunter Brown. This was a young kid that was pitching in the minor leagues the last couple of years, kind of ascended the prospect ranks of the season. He was able to give them one inning today, didn't strike anybody out. But if you look at his numbers in August and September, he was dominant. So I think the Astros might have a guy in their bullpen that might be able to ride them all the way through this. Logan Gilbert didn't have a bad game today, um, but Luis Castillo does go in game two. So Luis Castillo is going to match up um, with, I think, our boy Valdez, who is absolutely Valdez. out of this world. He's a weapon. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's Astros Mariners. I, I'll get to my predictions here in a moment once we go over everybody else. Uh, Yankees Cleveland is up next. Garrett Cole is silencing the doubters. Uh, so far this postseason, he's pitched very, very well. Turned out another very good game today. Did give up a home run to Stephen Kwan. And uh, if those of you that remember in April, I called for Stephen Kwan. I love Kwan. Kwan. 380. Yeah. Nah, I was yeah. completely wrong. Um, but good Yankees start. look good. You know, I mean, he had a good start. Um, and a big takeaway from this was the Yankees didn't have to rely on Judge and Stanton and the big bats. You know, Rizzo came through today. You know, this was a team win. Cole pitched well. Bullpen performed well. Uh, big takeaway for Cleveland is I just don't know that their bats are going to be enough. They're going to have to have Bieber come out in game two and pitch very, very, very well. And he goes up against Nestor. You know, Nestor has been known to kind of eliminate power himself, um, induce ground balls. And I just don't think that's going to be in Cleveland, Cleveland's advantage. I could see the Yankees going up quickly here 2-0, but it will be on the shoulders of Bieber in game two. Uh, moving on to maybe the, my favorite series here. This is going to be Philly and Atlanta. We saw a very, very fought, like hard-fought game today. Olsen hitting the three-run home run in the ninth off Eflin. Yikes. Um, you know, you can <laughs> go back to our, our May podcasts where we talked about Knable not being enough and this bullpen being a huge concern. And here we go yet again, right? But the Phillies do have a 1-0 lead in the series. And my big takeaway for the Phillies is I truly believe in that clubhouse now. They actually have the momentum and the belief in themselves to win this series. I don't think coming into this series, everyone, anyone would say that the Phillies were the favorites by any means because Atlanta's roster is so deep. You know, they have Strider, they have Freed, they have guys that are going to step in um, and, and play good baseball. And I think that overall was going to beat the Phillies. But with a one-game lead now and Wheeler on the mound against Wright tomorrow being Wednesday, if Wheeler can go out, pitch six, seven innings of one-run baseball, I think the Phillies can come out to a 2-0 lead in this series. Um, it will, time will tell. I still think the Braves roster is better, but as we've seen in most postseasons, it's about momentum. It's about the belief in the clubhouse. It's the timely hits, and that leads us right into what Nick Castellanos did today. You know, He has been so bad all season. He has really underwhelmed our expectations, I think, as well as the national media's expectations. He had an amazing game today, had a great catch in the outfield as well. He's definitely not known for his defense, um, but Bryce, <laughs> Bryce Harper's back. Three for three today, setting the table for Castellanos. He had a walk. He was on base all four times. I think those two, if you can just keep them playing at a high level, that might be enough offensive production to help Zach Wheeler, help Aaron Nola, both going game two and then game three. This could be a very short series. You know, Michael Harris today was 0 for 4. That was a big takeaway as well. He's been such a great player for Atlanta all season as a rookie. Um, Grisham as well, the second baseman filling in for Ozzy Albies with his injury plague season, also didn't get a hit today. So a couple of the youngsters in this postseason that were very highly marketed by Major League Baseball not performing. And that's going to be a story to follow over the next couple of games as well. You know, Now that we're in the postseason and the, the lights are shining the brightest, can they come through? 
uh, last series here, Dodgers Padres. This was a game I was actually watching live. Man, the Dodgers offense is man. It's well put together. They're <laughs> I, a well-oiled machine, dude. I, um, They're really good. I I don't like the Dodgers. I don't think that's a uh, <laughs> shocker on this podcast. But um, Trey Turner with the home run today. Uh, Will Smith had a nice RBI double. You know, this is going to be a very, very hard test for the Padres. Urias came out and did a pretty good job through four innings, did allow three runs. Um, He looked pretty dominant out there. But my big takeaway, I think, ultimately is going to be San Diego's bullpen. It's just as much as a question mark as Philly. Um, Josh Hader, obviously, at the end of the game, is going to hopefully sure things up a little bit. He has been pitching better. And then the same thing I will be said about the Dodgers here. You know, they had Martin on the mound in the ninth inning today. Can enable, or excuse me, Craig Kimbrell not being in that closers role. Like, do they have what it takes, not necessarily in this series, but in this postseason to win a title with what is in their bullpen? Those are my big two takeaways. I think this will be a hard fought series. As it stands right now, I have Yankees in four, uh, I have Philly in five, Dodgers in four, and I think the Astros Mariners are going to absolutely go five. I think the Mariners are on on that momentum train, but I don't think it will be enough against that Astros lineup, as well as having Verlander, Valdez, um, and Lance McCullers, who's been absolutely phenomenal since his return from injury. Yeah, I agree with you. For the Astros series, I think what happened tonight was the nail in the coffin for the Mariners. They've been the best story of the postseason thus far, beating Toronto both games. Uh, that massive comeback in game two in Toronto where they ended up winning and clinching that wild card series. I agree with you. I think they're just going to be too much of a match for, or sorry, I think the Astros are going to be too much of a match for them. Um, I love J-Rod. We love Ty France on this podcast, right? We're a year early on the prediction for Ty <laughs> France, but... It's just really funny every time the postseason starts and you watch an Astros game, especially see them at home. um, They're really good, dude. And I just don't see them going out at this point. And selfishly as a baseball fan, like give me Astros Yankees. I don't want anything else in the ALCS besides Astros Yankees. I want it going seven. I want it getting heated. I want to see fucking Jose Altuve get beamed, right? Like I, I need it. We need baseball needs it. Um, so I do think the Astros are going to win that series. With that being said, I agree with you as well with the Yankees. I think they're just outmatching the Cleveland Guardians, who have been kind of the Cinderella story of this entire baseball season. Um, I thought they looked great against the Rays, but I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. I think it was when you and I were chatting on the phone. The Rays are like the Brewers of the AL this yeah. year, right? They just didn't have the firepower that it takes, unlike the Yankees, who have 10 times the firepower that the Cleveland Guardians have. And at the end of the day, if they can't win when Judge and Stanton aren't playing well like a day like today, it's it's going to cost them. Um, I'm on the fence about the Phillies. I think they're going to win, and I don't disagree with any of your points. I just think that heart of a champion for kind of a cliche thing might bring, bring the Braves back. I think if this series goes five, the Braves win. Now, like you said, if the Phillies go all in, do everything they can, throw Nola, throw Wheeler tomorrow when they come out with a win, going back to Philly up 2-0, it's over. Um, but I I still think I'm going to take the Braves in that one. That's the only one I'm going to disagree with you. Dodgers-Braves would be my ideal matchup for the NLCS. But all in all, solid start to the postseason. Wild card weekend was eh to me, brother. To be honest with you, it didn't get the juices flowing. The Seattle series did, but everything else was just kind of 
eh. And with the Seattle series, the Blue Jays are the team we talked about three months ago, and we were just kind of going over only baseball. Sloppy, 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 and it cost them. Yeah, well, and for me, it was the Phillies Cardinals because I I felt strongly going into the postseason that if anyone was going to really give the Braves kind of a run for their money, it might be the Cardinals. They've played good yeah. baseball since Pujols' home run track started, right? right. Um, and they had Goldschmidt and they had Arenado. We talk about firepower. Those guys have played at an elite level this season. The question mark was the rotation. Obviously, they threw Jose Quintana out there in the wild card series. Didn't work out for him. The Phillies beat him two games in a row. And that's kind of where my confidence with this Phillies team comes from now. Because again, this Braves team is incredible. I, I don't remember the last time we've seen a homegrown team so great. And I say that because a lot of these guys weren't even necessarily traded for. I feel like Jordan Alvarez with the Astros, he was ultimately originally a Dodger. Most of the guys at the Braves organization were drafted, developed, and are now playing and are under long-term contracts. And the big takeaway, I think, for me, as I kind of said, it's what does Michael Harris Jr. do? The kid's an absolute star, but it's postseason time. You know, he's it's he's different. Hit the, yeah. It's different. <clears throat> he hit 300. He had power. He was stealing bases, playing great defense. It's a 1-0 lead right now for Philly. And to me, in a five-game series, when you have the better pitchers, right, the Phillies, I will take Wheeler and I will take Nola, even over Max Fried. I really would because I like their ability on the mound. And with that being said... You know, the, what, the Braves are one game away from this getting out of hand. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I just don't have the faith in Kyle Wright, who, yeah, won 20 games, but that's a deceiving number in itself. I think Zach Wheeler's performance tomorrow, is, it's going to dictate this series. You know, we, me and you talked off, off the podcast today, and I said, if Wheeler can give him six or seven innings, I'm throwing Nola out there to lock this game up. Because the only way I foresee the Phillies losing this series now is if it gets their bullpen, they will lose. There's no question about it. The Braves have <laughs> all of the hitters in the world. They will eat that Philly bullpen alive. So just completely take it out of the equation. Put your best two pitchers on, on your roster in that game. Lock up the victory. Go home with 2-0 lead. You'll figure out how to pull out a, a third game. You know, like... But I said to you also, they don't have the balls to do that because this is Major League <laughs> Baseball. And, you know, it's right. It's not about the one game. And to me, baseball in the postseason is always about get that one game, you know, get the next game then figure out how to win. And we haven't seen baseball played like that since, honestly, the um, the Randy Johnson. No, um, who is the other big one? Chilling. Kurt Schilling. Yeah, yeah. When they were when they were willing to do that in Arizona. But I, I agree. First, or, first, I'd say or Mad Bum like Bumgarner's mm -hmm. run with the Giants that year. That was probably the ballsiest. They were just like, yeah, we'll just throw Madison out there. Fuck it. I don't care if yeah. he pitched yesterday, you know? Yeah, and look look where he's at now, right? It does have dire consequences, you know? Yeah, sure, but he still arguably had the best postseason run in MLB history, so mm -hmm. who gives a shit? You know well, what I mean? They won a title, right? Like, yeah, for sure. You, he, you probably... he had the best pitching performance ever in a postseason, in my opinion. And yeah. For sure in my lifetime. Like, it's not even close. Yeah, I mean, he, he I don't was, like the was, Giants. It was that incredible. But also, you look at that from a perspective of momentum, too, right? Like, you know, Mad Bum's on the mound. Uh, the Phillies know tomorrow that they have Wheeler on the mound. Think about how fired up the Phillies clubhouse right now is in, in comparison to where they were two weeks ago, right? Like, we have a one game lead. We have our two best pitchers back to back. And that was a big takeaway in the wild card series. A lot of the announcers and the media was talking about, well, you know, these teams having to play in the wild card, they're going to burn through their aces right off the bat. They're going to have to go into the divisional series 
with their third string starter, which Suarez was for the Phillies today. Well, they were able to steal a victory today. And now you get to lock up game two and three with your aces. Like what should have been a disadvantage is almost playing in the Phillies favor now, which is crazy to think about. And that's <laughs> right. how important day game one is, especially in a competitive series. I wouldn't say the same thing for the Yankees and the Guardians. And it's really not. You know what I mean? But like because we expect that series to be heavily Yankees. Same thing with the Dodgers and the Padres. Like these are going to be hard fought offensive games at times. Kershaw plays Darvish tomorrow. I'm fully expecting the Padres yeah, to come out and win that game because we know Kershaw's legacy. But biggest matchup was Phillies Braves for me because it was going to hinder on this first game, in my opinion. Yeah, fun fact before we get to football, uh, Jordan Alvarez's uh, home run, walk-off home run, exit velocity 119 miles an hour, the third hardest hit ball in postseason history since they started doing the stat cast, which I think was 2015, if I read that correctly. Pretty cool. He, he nuked that ball. I, it, it was, was cool. yeah, it was really cool. So week five is over in the NFL. We're moving on to week six this week here. Um, it's crazy that we're already a month and a week into the season. But let's start with a recap of what happened last week. Some big things, some great things, some bad things. First and foremost, the worst thing that happened for you and I as Packer fans, uh, well, me waking up early, you staying up late after you got off work to watch the Packers blow a massive lead in London with a huge Packers crowd to the New York football Giants, moving the Packers to three and two and the Giants now with a tiebreaker on the Packers and up to four and one. Um, I have my thoughts on this game, Matt, um, pretty passionate thoughts, but I want to let you start with your thoughts on the Packers, of course, but also I know you have a lot to say about the Giants. So what was your overall takeaway from the London letdown as they're calling it in Green Bay land um, and this Giants team that no one saw this coming? Yeah, I think my big takeaway for Green Bay is the defensive identity. It's it's in shambles right now. Um, we, you know, talking earlier in the season about Vikings versus Packers week one, I had come out and I said the expectation is to be a top 10, top five defense in this league, possibly the number one defense from what we saw last year, as well as the additions coming in this offseason through the draft, uh, as well as the D-tackle coming over from Seattle. And we just have not seen an aggressive defense throughout an entire game. There's a lot of soft zone coverage. Uh, there's a lot of lack of man-to-man -man in, in situations that would require it. You saw that this week when they were running across the field and just completely opening up the field for the Giants, allowing Danny Dimes to make passes that ultimately shouldn't be made because of the defense scheme being called. I think the Packers have to figure that out over the next four or five games um, because at the end of the day, we want to be firing on all cylinders heading into that final stretch of the season where we're fine-tuning this defense. Right now, I really don't know what Barry, the defensive coordinator, is doing. Um, and then the secondary, secondly, the aggressiveness from the offseason or the offense. Uh, I thought about it pretty hard and I was like, when was the last time Green Bay didn't have a receiving core that you could rely on? And you'd have to date all the way back before Javante Walker uh, with Green Bay when Brett Favre was there. You know, for years, Green, Green Bay Packer fans were calling for a wide receiver, um, Javon Walker, excuse me. And then he comes in, plays well with Favre, ultimately tears the ACL out in Detroit right back to the square one Packers don't have wide receivers but the difference was with Favre in that offense Brett was still aggressive Brett would still make the throws that he probably at times shouldn't make and it would win and lose us games but the aggressive nature at least gave us an up-tempo offense and gave us a hope 
If you look at what we saw for the first half of Green Bay's offense, it was a lot of short intermediate passing, a lot of running attack. It was effective, yes, but you get into the second half, completely went away from that, started taking downfield shots, and it just didn't work. Like Same problem with the defense is on offense. The identity just is not there. And I think that starts in the coaching room. I think it starts in the game plan. It starts in practice. I don't know what the fix is ultimately because we're not dealing with Brett Favre. We're dealing with Aaron Rodgers. And the way that his mind operates and the risk assessment that he takes is very different from the way Favre operated, which doesn't allow you to run an aggressive offense unless Rodgers has that comfort level. We saw that in the second half. Yeah. Secondly, with what I've seen from the Giants, I just want to give Ryan Dayball you know, a round of applause. What he's been able to do, to do with his weapons on the field, I think is better than a lot of the head coaches currently in the NFL, leaning on Saquon Barkley, and at times in that game, leaning on um, Matt Burita, right? Like still running his offense at a, at a level where, hey, okay, Saquon's out. We've got to kind of shoot the middle of the field now with our wide receivers. And mind you, they had no wide receivers in that game. Everybody <laughs> was hurt. Yeah. Uh, again, attacking Green Bay soft zones, but... I think when you talk about rebuilding a team and putting a competitive product on the field, Dayball has done that. The Giants defense, in my opinion, is kind of suspect at times, um, but he's been able to lean on Saquon and he's been able to utilize the best version of Danny Dimes. Like Daniel Jones in this game honestly was moderately impressive with just taking what was given to him. And I think the big downfall for Giants fans, if you're listening to this, is you've taken yourselves out of the equation for a quarterback in this coming draft. I think that might be the one thing that is a negative to the success that the Giants have had. They're not going to ultimately compete in the playoffs um, if they even get there. You know, marred in a very tough division with the Cowboys and the Eagles. But we've talked about preseason, this team being ultimately set up to go out and get one of the two or three quarterbacks in this draft. And with four victories now, I think you take yourselves out of that equation. So can he continue this competitive product on the field? And if so, where do the Giants go as an organization moving forward? You know, do they have the faith in Danny Jones now um, I personally have not seen enough from him. I think he could be a good top 20 quarterback based off what I saw against Green Bay, a game manager. Uh, but the guy takes a lot of hits and that's concerning to me for his ultimate career longevity. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I don't think it's, I, we all know Jones isn't the guy he played a fantastic game against the Packers is a massive reason why they won. So I don't want to take that away from him nor Dayball. but yeah, you're right. They're they're out of the sweepstakes. I don't think they have another draft pick from a trade. I, you know, we probably should have looked at that, but I don't think that's the case. Um, but it, you know, why wouldn't you want to go play for that guy? He looks like a great coach to go play for. I agree with you with everything that you said. He, with the hand that he was dealt, is is performing above and beyond what anyone thought. And I think that's going to be a problem for a lot of these coaches. A, Matt Rule, who just got fired, right? Hey, look, you were dealt a better hand than this guy. He's got Danny Jones winning four games. We'll get to their game later on for the week six, but... Uh, this week six preview, but they have one of the top defenses in the league, which no one's talking about. And they're the reason they allowed that offense to get back in the game against Green Bay in London. Um, so, yeah, all, all credit to Dayball. I got a friend at work who's a Giants fan. I was kind of bugging him saying they're the fakest team in the league, right? Made me look stupid. And I think they've made a lot of people look stupid this far uh, throughout the season. So if they can keep it going and be in the hunt come playoff time, they got a they got a tie breaking win against the Packers. That's well, and, huge. And I, I I think I disrespected their defense a little bit. They're front four or five with they're the, without Leonard Williams as well. By the correct. way, correct. So like you look at what that acquisition 
of uh, Thibodeau was, you know, a big body, a guy that can be, you know, stand up, can cause havoc. I, I think take away the sacks, just his ability to enforce that front is really important. And it is kind of an underlying draft pick that we're not really as a national media talking about. And the next thing is the Packers, con- what concerns me is when you take as a defense, Romeo Dobbs out of the equation, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that third option, right? We saw it be Cobb at times this past week. Lazard ultimately is like, you know, we call him the number one or the number two, but Dobbs is the guy that's supposed to take the top off the defense. If you don't have Romeo out there being able to make plays, I think Aaron Rodgers is really limited and he's got to find a guy that he can trust, which is ultimately supposed to be Watson. Watson's out as well. Uh, Packers wide receiving core has has an identity crisis, I think, when they're matched up against a really good game plan. And that's something Aaron Rodgers is going to have to figure out. I would have liked to see more Robert Tunyon in this game. Um, and it just it just didn't happen. Yep. And that's going to kind of lead me to to my thing here. And I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter. I was just going off at whatever nine in the morning about it. Aaron Jones has, has 11 touches in the game going into that final drive where they start giving him the ball and look, they end up on the 10 yard line because he is the best player on offense besides Aaron Rodgers. It's not close. Aaron Jones is the best weapon they have. They need to utilize him. Now I understand he does have a little bit of injury risk, but less than 20 touches a game is unacceptable. If he gets hurt because we give him 20 touches, like I'm not wishing for him to get hurt, but like you need to utilize the man. Why did you pay him? Jair Alexander, why did you pay him if you're just going to let him sit in a soft zone? Why? Let him take a third of the field away. Use that to your advantage. He's that good. There's just little things like that that just don't make sense with the Packers, and I've had time to think about this, and this is my synopsis of the team, and we felt this way after the win against Tampa Bay, is that they're still the same old team. They should have ran away with that Tampa game. Could have lost. Probably should have lost, right? And I think at the end of the day, this is kind of what what I've come to accept. Matt LaFleur is just not that good of a head coach. I don't think Matt LaFleur has it inside of him to coach Aaron Rodgers hard and gain that respect of Rodgers where, hey, I am overshadowing you. I am overtaking you on this decision right now. I don't think he has that personality. He's soft. And in essence, what that makes is the Packers soft. Four years now, just been a soft team. For example, whether it's a blown coverage against Tampa, whether it's a fourth down with the game on the line, Matt, to just go ahead and kick the field goal because I don't trust myself to have a play to get us in the end zone. Whether last year it's a blocked punt for a touchdown in a game that we should have won two quarters before that happened. When adversity hits guys like Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, I think they view it as an opportunity, whereas I think the Packers and LaFleur and Rodgers view adversity as defeat. I think that is the identity of this team, no matter what happens. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this on the phone this week, and it was something I I thought long and hard about, too. And it really came down to a level of experience and a level of, um, we'll say credentials. (laughs) <laughs> where we look at a lot of these young coaches in the NFL, um, all stemming from the Shanahan tree, and they've been given jobs because they're offensive geniuses. There's a very, very big difference between the Mike McDaniel and the Matt LaFleur. 
Um, and the difference is the level of aggressiveness or the level of I'm going to run my system exactly analytically how it's supposed to be ran, right? That's what we see from LaFleur. And my conversation with you over the phone was in regards to Andy Reid and how much time Andy had to put in as a defensive coach, position coach, to ultimately ascending to the head coach position in Philadelphia, going through adversity as you had brought up with Philadelphia, Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens, and losing in the NFC championship game over and over and over, and then ultimately losing in the Super Bowl only to ultimately go into a position with Alex Smith and you know ultimately Patrick Mahomes and having success. It's a very different huddle. It's a very different conversation when you're talking to Andy Reid and you're talking to Matt LaFleur. You have a guy that's been there for 30 plus years, has coached up positions, has waited his time, has seen what works and doesn't work in positions over and over and over and over again, where he now knows in his brain, well, hey, going for it, a two-point conversion you know, against the Chiefs is probably a bad idea here. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I, I'm not doing that. We're going to kick the field goal and we're going to move on. Situations much like the San Francisco game with the Packers last year in the playoffs. You know, Andy Reid handles this offense differently, handles this defense differently, and handles Aaron Rodgers differently than how Matt LaFleur does. And you're right. My concern is ultimately that we are watching the education of a head coach with a team that's supposed to be a Super Bowl contender. I said to you too, in five years, I think Matt LaFleur will be an amazing head coach because he'll have learned over and over and over those situations. Hey, I can't do this because it did. It just doesn't work in this situation. We're watching him trial and error those experiences. And I think you hit it right on the head in regards to pulling the best out of Aaron Rodgers. We've seen that relationship kind of be tumultuous at times. Does he have the ability to really motivate Aaron and really keep Aaron mentally in the game as opposed to, like you said, feeling defeat or feeling that curse in a way, right? Um, I just don't think he's had enough NFL experience and we're going to continue to watch this narrative unfold, right? We're going to watch it all the way until Aaron Rodgers retires and he has to essentially coach up the next quarterback because the truth is Matt LaFleur is not going anywhere. 313 win seasons. He is locked into Green Bay for probably the next decade until we have to watch the changeover at the quarterback position. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I completely agree. Um, on that vein of coaches, learning on the job right and you alluded to it when you're talking about Andy Reid the next thing that I kind of wanted to talk about for week five and takeaways how are these coaches still getting away with going for it on fourth down that is the modern NFL now and we'll start with McDaniels because you had talked about it you're up 17 nothing against the Chiefs right you're buzzing you're doing good everyone in the world knows that they're going to come back. Going back to my point about Mahomes compared to Rodgers, I never had a doubt that he was going to make a run and bring his team back into the game. Where Rodgers goes down 17, if he throws one pick or one more bad thing happens, you know he'll probably put it on ice and call it for the next week. That's, you know, tangent. Regardless, Josh McDaniels, they're down a touchdown. They get the ball back, can't move the ball. They're in a deep third and long. Devontae Adams burns two dudes to score a 60-yard touchdown, and we go for two. Four minutes left in the game. Jacobs doesn't get it. They make a stop against Pat Mahomes. Now they have an opportunity to win the game, Matt, but they have to score now because if they don't, they lose the game. What ends up happening? They can't get a drive together. I thought Devontae caught the ball. It should have been a first down, whatever. They lose the game, and this happens week after week game after game, primetime game after primetime game. And I don't know, Matt, like, is this just acceptable now to be losing the game playing a little reckless? Would you have gone for two there against the Chiefs and Mahomes with four minutes left or just tied it up? 
No, I would have. So there's two things to this. And when I would when I would be thinking about this decision on on the opposite sideline, it's like, okay, we get a point lead, right? There's a very good chance that Patrick Mahomes goes down and scores, blah, blah, blah. What I'm thinking about, though, is the, the momentum of this game. We tie the game. We kick the field goal. Okay, you know, 30-30. When you ultimately plan to get the ball back because you're expecting your defense to go out and get a stop, you're now operating from a perspective of we're marching to win this game. Worst case scenario, we go to overtime. That's the mental thought process on the offensive right. unit. As opposed to we're down by one. We have to score. Now, the reason I say the offensive mentality, because if I'm on the defense, I'm thinking to myself, we got to be aggressive. You know, we right now it's in our hands as a, as a Kansas City defense to win this game as opposed to 30-30. Damn, they're a field goal away from beating us. They're a field goal away either way. But the perception for the, the Chiefs is very different. And because he didn't kick that field goal, he allowed ultimately the Chiefs defense, in my opinion, to have more confidence going out there to make a stop. And they ultimately made a stop. How many times in the NFL do we see that final quarterback get the opportunity to march on down? Not necessarily because it's the quarterback's ability, because the defense is literally walking on eggshells. They're terrified that if they make one wrong move, it's over. But the Chiefs were allowed to be aggressive. They showed that aggressiveness. They brought blitz. They manned up properly. And they made life very difficult on, on, on Carr. Um, I think this was a huge mistake, but from what I've seen in the national media, Carr was actually the one to encourage McDaniels. He Correct. was the one that wanted to go for yeah. two. I get Which is it. Fucking dumb. I, I get I it, just... but but you're the head coach. You got to do what's best for the team. You know what I mean? Like I don't care what you want to do. My job is to manage this team based off my experience. Right back to the same problem with Matt, Matt Lafleur. And honestly, McDaniel's gets no. He doesn't get any pass here. He had Bill Belichick tutoring him for ten plus years. <laughs> He should know better to take those reins and not be so aggressive because Bill is absolutely not going for two ever in that situation. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. And at the end of the day, like I agree, you make the calls, the coach, and this isn't like we score and this is it. Like we mm -hmm. score this two point conversion. The game's over. There was just way too much time on the clock. And then our boy, Brandon Staley, the other example bailed out again. This dude has a fourth and one mat on his own on his own side of the 50 with like a minute and maybe the two minute warning left and they go for it on fourth and one don't get it against the Browns right after their defense makes a huge stop instead of pinning them in their own stops uh, uh, their own side of the field they get the ball the Browns miss a field goal and end up losing the game but same deal bro like it's just crazy to me like I couldn't imagine being a Chargers fan or a Raiders fan the Raiders had zero business losing that game and then the fact they get back in it awesome let's go to overtime the Chargers once again had no business losing the game make a big stop get an interception on Jacoby Brissett okay they can't get the first downs with your offensive minded coach pin them deep you have a good enough defense if you can't stop Brissett from getting let's just say 60 yards with a minute 20 left and no timeouts that's on you it's nuts to me dude i just don't get it it's simple things man points matter yeah but if you look at the two best teams in the nfl right now in my opinion chiefs and bills um and we'll, we'll throw we'll throw cowboys into that equation um it's because of coaching in a large part andy reed um mcdermott and we'll put i'll put quinn as the Cowboys because it's a defensive <laughs> ran team. done all right too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he has, but like Quinn's proven now in the NFL to have built in two dominant defenses in Seattle right. now in Dallas, right? Like the guy, it's coaching, clearly. It's scheme. It's He's a better schemer than anyone around him. Um, and I think if you also look at 
McDermott and Reed, they're guys that have had had to battle for their positions throughout their careers, right? How many times has I think McDermott's been fired at least once or twice as a head coach and as a coordinator? Uh, yes, they also have you know Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. That, that helps, but my point being is like it it does start with scheme. You have all of these young coaches. You know, look at Herbert for the Chargers. There's no reason to be losing games. You got Devontae Adams. You've got Darren Waller when he's not hurt. You've got Hunter Renfro. You've got Josh Jacobs. I, I mean, you shouldn't be a one-win football team, right? <laughs> Same thing for the, for the Broncos. It's it's the head coaches in this league that don't have any business being in that position yet that are making these mistakes over and over. And we're wondering why. Well, it's because guys have jobs that shouldn't have jobs. I agree. I agree. Now, guys that have jobs that have done pretty well. Um, I guess it's a pretty hype New York podcast today that we have going on. Um, we want to give a shout out to our guys over there in New York for the Jets. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast since the inception, or if you love the draft series when we do that in the offseason and go through position groups, even two years ago when we talked about the running back groups coming out, we could not wait for our boy Brees Hall to be in the NFL. We thought he was right there with Najee Harris last year when he was ineligible to come out of the draft. He was unbelievable at Iowa State, had a down year the year that he was coming out. But our big calling card was if the Bills take Brees Hall, they'll be unstoppable. Long story short, they end up passing on him and the Jets get him. And man, did he have his coming out party. And it was impressive. And it was like as these... You know, we put in a lot of work to the draft series and there's guys that we really get on the bandwagon over. And for him to be one of the guys that really popped off and us to be right felt good, A. But B, Matt, the Jets might have the offensive and defensive rookie of the year just from this draft class, man. What a fantastic job. They're on the up and up, man. Say what you want about Sala, but the GM and the front office is doing the right thing. Yeah, and if the, if you haven't yet had an opportunity to go watch Brees Hall's um, catch and run this past week, it was it was very very impressive. He had two very good catches and, and yards after the catch. Uh, he reminded me a lot of a very young Le'Veon Bell, and he's faster. He's much faster, and I don't think he has as much body build to him or mass yet. But I think over the course of the next two or three years, we're talking about a very special player. Uh, we loved him. We love Javante Williams. We love Michael Carter the second. And I think having two of those three guys on the same roster is almost unfair. I think the ability to have Michael Carter paired with Brees Hall is going to ultimately make Zach Wilson's job over the next three, four years so much easier. And more importantly, it buys Zach time. He can develop right. himself in this offense. He can allow LaFleur to really like tutelage him and really find his opportunity where he can excel knowing that you have a backfield that's ultimately going to go out and win you games they they won them that game there is no question yep. about that and wilson has a he's going to have a long long developmental road you know missing a lot of the games this year being injured uh to start the season having flacco come out and have success it's a different offense with 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 wilson you don't have the same down the field threat yet because i don't think he understands or trusts his arm that way but allowing Brees Hall to go out there is a big piece. And kind of what we talked about with the Giants, like building the foundation for this roster. The Jets are in a way better position, personally, in my opinion, than the Giants because they've accumulated so many assets, right? You talked about Sauce Gardner out there. Okay, you've locked up your dominant shutdown corner. Check. You got your starting running back. Check. You got your backup running back. Check. You've got your number one wide receiver. Check. You know, like checks all over this board as opposed to where we looked at the Jets before this draft class 
a lot of question marks. So kudos to them. Um, it'll be a great game. We're going to get to the previews here, obviously, at the end of the show with Packers Jets. And it's funny because Jair did come out and laugh and say, okay, I'm not worried unless we lose next week. Well, this is going to be a very big test. You better stop laughing, bro, because yeah. they're like Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, like the boys are going to come out buzzing. Now, if Wilson can get it to them is going to be the other part, right? Yep. Because I, and I have the stats. We'll go over it here in a second, but it's all fun and games until these motherfuckers are running past you because you just let Danny Jones have the best game of his season. So it's all fun and games, man, but we'll see. Well, and also it's about, I think, temper- I think that was taken a little out of context too, like the whole quote itself. But yeah, that I think temperament from a young head coach. Sala is in the same age range as a lot of these guys. Right. He's a defensive mind though. And he's a he's a locker room leader by presence. He's a lot like Dan Campbell in that aspect, like the alpha male. And I think with a young team and just a team perspective in general, people rally around that. You know, Lafleur, the Bengals coach. Um, who else? Do, who else could we throw Even into this? Shanahan, at Shanahan, times. like docile, docile guys, right? And I, I'm I'm concerned about that, but I always thought Robert Sala, via his personality, was a great hire, much like I felt with Dan Campbell. You know, if you're rebuilding the foundation of a team, get these guys to actually believe in themselves, believe in the program that you're pushing. That's the first step in rebuilding. Yep, I I totally agree. And talking about rebuild, last thing, kind of recapping, I'm going to kick this one off to you because you were a little bit more passionate about it than me, but I I agree with you, is probably the best defense in football right now is the Dallas Cowboys, man. So what did you see from them against the Rams? And what are you, well, actually, we'll save what you're looking forward to against the Eagles because we'll get to that in the next segment. But what did you see against the Rams? And what have you seen this year from Dan Quinn and that scheme that you were kind of talking about a little bit earlier? For me, it's the comfort it's the comfortability of each defensive player knowing what they're supposed to do and then executing it. And I think that's a league-wide issue that we've especially seen as Packer fans through the years, where you got guys not really sure exactly where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do. It's too complicated. Dan Quinn says, screw it. I'm going to send the blitz. I'm going to trust my defensive line to get after the quarterback. I'm going to allow my cornerbacks to be aggressive because ultimately these quarterbacks don't have the same amount of time other quarterbacks do because I'm providing pressure. Go out and be aggressive. Go out and hand fight. Go out and fight for the ball, which is ultimately elevating all of that secondary. It's allowing their linebackers to chase and tackle and pursue at a more elite level. And ultimately, Michael Parsons on on that line, we've said it time and time again, was with the steal of the draft last year. He's proving it yet again, allowing Quinn to have a weapon like that that he didn't have in Dallas. If you remember, or excuse me, he didn't have in Seattle. He didn't have the guy that could completely change a defensive front. He had to rely on his secondary. He's got that guy now, which is only going to elevate, again, the secondary where he's a master in control. I think Dan Quinn, he's shooting again for a head coaching job, but what he can do with Dallas, it's incredible. The big concern now is can McCarthy get this offense to execute properly when you're going up against elite level. And I will tell you this over and over, the Rams are pretenders. Matt Stafford's a joke. And I don't view the Rams Dallas game as I would say the Eagles Dallas game, which we get this week. So the real test will be when you go up against a lot of offensive weapons, not just Cooper cup, what does it look like for that spacing and for that trust of the defense? Week six is here. We've got, I think, six games. Yeah, six games that we're going to talk about here a little bit. So let's just kick it right off. 10 a.m. Jets fucking Packers. Here we go. 
Um, my first note on this, the Packers are seven point favorites. I said, you cannot bet on the Packers. Will they be able to slow down Brees Hall, Mike Carter, like we were just talking about while being able to stop crossing routes? Cause Lord, could they not do it against the giants? Uh, the Packers are the better team on paper, obviously, but as Matt LaFleur said, they have not been able to put a full game together, nor do I expect them to do that on Sunday. So no, I will not be betting on this game, but I will lean Jets plus the seven. Now, Jets, they are allowing 23.6 points per game, which is the bottom half of the league. But the Green Bay Packers are scoring a little less than 20 a game. While Matt, believe it or not, giving up less than 20 points per game. I think the big stat here is the Packers rush defense is their weakness on paper. Believe it or not, they're giving up about 126 rushing yards per game. So Brees Hall, we'll see if they can slow him down. Um, I do like the Packers to bounce back and win this game. I don't think they've lost two games in a row under Matt LaFleur as the head coach. But to what I said earlier, to what you were talking about earlier, Matt, I ha- my expectations are low. I will not be surprised if they lose this game. Um, I- I'm I'm pretty down in the dumps about the pack right now, and I'm pretty high on the Jets. And I'm really excited to see what they do against Sauce Gardner because he's going to shut somebody down. Yeah, my perspective on this really comes down to Barry. Um, Personally, if I were him, I would feel the hot seat starting to burn underneath me a little bit. And I would feel like I was on fire if he loses this game. And I will say it again and say it again, much like I said about the Bills run game last year. I will say it week after week until it changes. It's time to be aggressive on defense. It's time to play man to man. and It's time to bring the blitz. This is the game. You have a second-year quarterback that has not proven himself very much so at all in the NFL. He's coming off an injury. Might as well just bring five every single time. Allow Jair to lock him up. Allow Douglas to play man-to-man, which he's better at. Um, and allow Stokes to you know run around the field and utilize that speed. I actually expect it this weekend. Coming off this Giants loss, I think the national media, I think the Green Bay media is going to have to start asking really harder questions if we play more soft zones and we allow a subpar quarterback to yet again come out and beat us. It's time to play aggressive defense. Um, Now for the the Green Bay offense, I expect a very heavy run game. I expect to do the opposite of what we did last week, which we've seen time and time again when we lose a game because we are not utilizing Aaron Jones. We come out and we give Jones 30 touches. I expect Packers to kind of have this game mopped up by the end of the third quarter because it truly is a it's a bounce back game for Green Bay. Yeah, but they'll have it mopped up and let them right back in. Well, I mean, mop up for Green Bay's, you know, seven point lead. Ten. Right. Like it's it's a joke. Yeah, I agree with you. It has to be the Aaron Jones show if we go another week without him getting, like I said earlier, 20 plus touches. Um, And even to your point, fine, don't play man to man but can we at least line the fucking dbs closer than nine yards off correct the ball? like come on we'll see i digress let's get to our division rival they have a big game the minnesota vikings are traveling to miami to play the dolphins obviously the number one thing here is tua if tua plays this is a game say what you want about tua right he's a lot better than teddy bridgewater and he sure as hell is a lot better than skylar thompson they need him um, something I thought that was interesting looking into this game, the Vikings defense is the bottom half of the league in rushing and passing yards per game. So after that Packers game, they have really fallen off. They should have lost to Chicago last week. Miami has the 28th best defense, or I should say worst defense against the pass. Thank you, Justin Jefferson owners <laughs> like you and I, huh? Miami has the worst rushing attack 
in all of the NFL, which is crazy. And then the last thing I put on this is the Vikings are three-point favorites. This feels like an absolute trap game because there's no way Minnesota loses this game and doesn't cover, right? <laughs> yeah, but a lot of the trap games are intentionally trap games, right? This, Like, look at the Green Bay line here. And I know we're going to get off topic a little bit, but it's minus 357 money line. Like, that in itself is out there to trap you. Same thing with this, minus three. This should be, to me, minus eight like and a half minus Vikings. Really? You think so? Yeah. yeah well, yeah, because well, you just that, said it. Does that Kirk line, can, sorry to interrupt you, but like, does that line tell you Tua's playing? I think I, I, I agree with you. I think it's minus seven and a half if Tua's out. That line solely is telling me trap. Like if, if I were creating the line, I'd put that out there with the hope that people would bet on the Dolphins because people are expecting something to go arise. Um, even if Tua plays in this game with the way that Miami's secondary allows yards, like you have, you like, we had, did we just forget that Thielen and Jefferson together are two of the best against <laughs> right. some of the best, the worst secondaries in the NFL? Like Jefferson should go in for 150, you know, Irv Smith should go for 70, Thielen should go for 70, and Cook should go for 80. Like this should be an absolute domination because Kirk Cousins is not a bad quarterback. Sure, he's not great in primetime, he's not great in the playoffs, but like he's good against one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. Um, and we did call it like Vikings defenses were pretenders against Green Bay. We knew that with their roster construction. So sure, if Tua plays, I think this is a football game, but I think the Vikings win by three or more, even with Tua in that game. Yeah, I, I agree also with you. Tyree Kill in a boot. W- what kind of Tyree Kill are we getting? I think That's he a huge tweeted out piece. that he was gonna play, but yeah, um, I agree with you. I agree with you. The the I'll be shocked if the Vikings lose this game, but not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I, as it stands right now, this is this is kind of like Dallas was last week for me, lock of the week. Just looking at the matchup alone, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, know. yeah, I agree that just that that stat on mm-hmm. Miami's lack of a passing defense was alarming. And I mean, I guess the Jets did just drop forty on them. So I'd be interested. I haven't watched any of the Dolphins games this year um, to note note rise if. Jones has been playing Byron Jones and he's been out the other elite cornerback that they have Howard Howard because together those guys should be able to elevate this defense and if I remember correctly Jones was supposed to be out the first four games so yeah, if he's back he's still out okay so yeah there you go like that's that's the reasoning for their their poor pass defense right there they have one cornerback yep yep it sucks um okay the next game that I think is pretty good team that we talked about Giants man at home, five point underdogs to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, once again, another one feels like feels like you should take the Giants, right? They're hot. But let me tell you some stats here, because again, I was pretty surprised by some of this stuff. The Giants' defense pretty underrated, as we talked about giving them praise earlier. They're only giving up. It was eighteen point nine. I rounded up to nineteen points per game. Right, the the Giants are the second best rushing team in the NFL, but the thirty first <laughs> best worst passing team in the league, second to worst. Lit up the Packers, of course. Now the Ravens have the worst pass defense in the league, middle of the road for rushing. But this right here, my friend, I think is the key statistic for this game that makes me lean Ravens. Is that the Giants have the second worst defense against the rush? And that only infuriates me more about the Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon debacle out in London town. I think 
if that rush defense cannot contain Dobbins, cannot contain, obviously, Lamar Jackson, it will be a long, long day in New York for the Giants. Well, yeah, and if you look at the big weakness for the Ravens so far this season, it's been that secondary. And yes, Daniel Jones <laughs> had sure. a, a really nice game against Green Bay. I, I don't expect him to have another game like that probably all year. Honestly, no disrespect. It's just it's not in him. And I think that was more about the Packers poor play calling than it was Daniel Jones performance, truthfully. So you're talking about the number one weakness of the team being the Ravens and the number one weakness for the Giants. I'm going to take the number one positive, which is the Ravens ability to run the football. Um, this should be an easy game for the Ravens. It really should. Saquon Barkley was barely enough for the Giants to get through that game. Um, this, this should be easy. I think the Ravens win, but by at least a touchdown in this game. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I really like the Ravens minus yeah. five. This, this feels like a letdown week for the Giants. Who knows the day ball? God, who knows? Look at us. We're just praising them. And now we're back here underestimating them again. Like just, just like that, dude. But the Ravens are an elite ball club. For well, sure. and like, we know who, really like good. we're not like the national media. We're Packer fans. Like we know the weaknesses and we know exactly why things happened. Like they happened on Sunday. You know what I mean? Like this was a Packers loss. This wasn't a Giants win. It really wasn't to me. But good coaching helped helped the victory. You're going up against a team that doesn't have the same issues that the Packers do. Not even a, not as to me personally, not even as good of a team, the Ravens as the Packers, but they're a better coach team with a better superstar that can play to the advantage that he's given. And if you're going against one of the worst pass or rush defenses, good God, Lamar's going to eat you alive. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so we have a couple really good games to end the day here. I think this is the best game. I think it's better than Cowboys Philly, which is also a good game. But how could it not be, in my opinion? Uh, Bills versus Chiefs. The Bills going back to the Chiefs for a rematch of that. Well, it was an AFC divisional, not even the championship game last week. The 13 seconds game where the Chiefs came back and beat the Bills because they couldn't make a stop, not because they won a coin toss. FYI. Um Super awesome matchup. The stats in this one, Matt, I mean, they're they're all great for both teams. I say the home underdog. I feel like you got to ride Chiefs plus three. But here's some stats for you, buddy. Both teams are top three defensively against the rush. Believe that or not. Buffalo is the fourth best defense against the pass, but their strength of schedule has been so-so. They did play the Rams, Matt the fake team in the league yeah mm-hmm. um and then the bills are the number one in points against which once again their strength of schedule has been meh and they're both the top two scoring teams in the league i am going to ride the chiefs i'm going to pick the chiefs i think the chiefs are better um they're at home and i know josh allen has a lot to prove but i just for some reason i see the same thing happening that's the chiefs just find a way yeah, they do, but they also almost lost to another terrible team in the NFL, which is the Raiders. Um, I'm going to take the Bills here. I'm going to take the Bills because I like the weapons more surrounding Allen than I like the weapons surrounding Mahomes. Kelsey had an incredible four-touchdown game, but from a like overall production standpoint, wasn't out there with even 50 yards in this game. Um, and I think what I started to really see, too, in this Raiders game was he doesn't have the same kind of trust in anybody outside Kelsey. And I think Allen has complete trust in Gabe Davis. I think he has trust in Diggs, obviously. Um, and I think 
I think Allen is enough to beat the Chiefs here. It'll be a fantastic game. I, I think it's a coin flip, really, to see what kind of team comes out. 100%. But I also want to see how these opposing defenses play up on each other. These are, to my opinion, two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and it's hands down. Um, like Which defense is able to stifle Mahomes or Allen? And that's something that we'll be talking about the rest of the season leading up to the playoff matchup. Yep, 100%. And then we got the Sunday night banger, dude. This is going to be a really good game, too. Cowboys going into Philly. Philly is a five-point favorite at home. Makes sense. Um, the numbers here, I didn't really take too much into consideration just because we have the Cooper Rush factor. And I don't know if Dak's going to play. We're recording this podcast on Tuesday, so I don't know if Dak's going to play. If I were the Dallas Cowboys, I would not play Dak, even if he could go just as a competitive advantage. In my opinion, that's what I would do. Um, don't, don't let us see Dak yet. We'll see Dak later down the road. Um, the only thing on here is both defenses are in the top 10. Obviously, you've seen what Hertz has been able to do. Had a little bit of a rough game in Arizona, but they're going to be back home. Their home crowd's going to be buzzing. They're five-point favorites, though, Matt. All right, what are you thinking here for this game? How do you think they'll handle that Dallas defense? Well, I just talked about that, uh, alluding to the Cowboys versus the Rams last week. I wanted to see the Cowboys defense against a team with weapons, right? Here we go. You have Smith, you have Brown, you have Gainwell, you have Sanders, you have Hertz. This is this is the matchup we've been waiting for for the first six weeks to really tell who these guys are. And I think we're going to see the first time that this national media really takes to the Cowboys as the best defense hands down in the NFL because I think they're going to go in and I think they're going to make life very difficult on Jalen Hurts with all those weapons around him because uh, we have not seen him yet in a game up until last week have to make decisions where that pocket is collapsing. Um, I'm taking the Cowboys in this game and I'm taking it because of the defense yeah. and it's going to have, it's going to have to be rushed to win this game because that Eagles front line on defense is very, very good. And Pollard and Zeke are not going to have very much success. So he's going to have to attack the middle of the field, but I would have the only way the Cowboys win this game is with the turnover, um, at least one. And I do expect that. Yeah, I actually, I'm taking the Cowboys too um similar i think kelsey got hurt last game uh not travis kelsey what's his brother's name jason kelsey so yep. i don't know his status going into the game but i just don't think anyone has seen a defensive front like this cowboys front man and that front changes everything and especially if kelsey can't go if philly cannot establish a run game and they are forced to pass this will be kind of the achilles heel of hurts i think he's improved greatly i think he is a solid pocket passer but you put a little pressure on him and the way dallas made him look last year i i'm all in on the cowboys again as well i think we're gonna i think i'm gonna ride this train till the wheels fall off now if dak plays I might switch my pick to be honest with you because i don't trust that mccarthy and Moore can keep the same game plan i think they'll get too excited mm -hmm. and too pass happy and that'll kill them keep going through zeke and my boy pollard now, I don't know who Diggs is going to match up in on this game. I would imagine it's going to be Brown. Um, but I would say highlight Maybe. whichever wide receiver he doesn't pair up against. If it's Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith is going to be the X factor. If it's Brown, it's Brown is the X factor because I strongly feel like the other wide receiver for Philly is going to have to have a massive game in order for Hurts to really uh, come out with a victory. And I don't have enough, I don't have enough trust in Smith yet as a pro wide receiver. I think he has a lot of potential. Also, you have the Alabama factor there. Smith and Diggs played together at Alabama. Um, 
but I, I do. True. I think I think the defense here for Dallas is going to make life very difficult. That's why I bring up it's going to be an X factor for Philly. Someone's got to step up and put up 150 yards in that receiving core and have a couple touchdowns because Jalen's going to need them to go out and fight for the football at times, right? We haven't seen him as the most accurate dotting quarterback in the NFL. And he's got two guys on the outside that can and have proven this season to jump up for the ball and fight it at its contested spot. They're going to need both of them to at least showcase themselves in this game. Yeah, I feel you, man. It's it's going to be interesting. I'm super excited for that matchup. Usually I'm not. And then for a matchup I'm not that excited about, but we got to talk about it because it's Monday Night Football and it has big implications on how the season's going to turn out. Is the Broncos going into L.A. to play the Chargers Monday night? Um, listen to these stats, bro. This is, this stuff's crazy to me, bro. 31st in the NFL in points per game are the let's ride Denver Broncos. <laughs> uh, the chargers are the fourth highest scoring team in the NFL, but Denver defense is fourth in points allowed. So the Denver defense, obviously as they've been all season is going to be the X factor. The Denver defense is also the best defense against the pass this season. Wow, the Chargers are the second best passing team. So something has to give here. Um, Herbert has looked good, but not excellent since that injury in Kansas City week two, week one, whenever that was. Um, It's been all the Austin Eckler show. So Josh Jacobs just ran all over Denver two weeks ago in Vegas. I think that's got to be the game plan for the Chargers. Um, Everything in my bones say I should take the Broncos because it's probably going to be a field goal game, but... After watching them now for five weeks, it's that's impossible for me. I they are a horrible, horrible football team right now. Yes, but I I would agree with you that it's going to be a field goal game. And what I would also say is, you know, that Staley's going to give the other team at least three points. I know. What am I thinking? Because he does it every single every week. time. So this isn't plus five. This is plus eight because of his dumb ass. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I mean that he's terrible. He, God, he's bad. How can't we just be NFL coaches? I'll just, you know, get my whiteboard out and start telling the guys, okay, run around here, do a couple <laughs> loops. Yeah, uh, sure. we don't go for it on fourth down. That's law number one. But seriously, I, I think, um, I think this is a big game for the Broncos, big game for Russell Wilson, big game for Hackett because the national media has been pounding them for the last three weeks. We have been pounding them for the last three weeks. Russ obviously has the torn lap muscle or shoulder muscle or whatever the hell's going on there. Of course he does. Of course um, he does. Timely, timely injury, right? Um, but also, I, I, I do think that the Broncos have the momentum and the, the need for this game more than the Chargers do. And they have they have the experienced quarterback and the leader in that locker room. As much as we want to jump on Russell Wilson as being you know a bad personality, um, Russ is still a leader in the NFL, and I believe he's going to have the Broncos ready to play. And at plus five, I do I do believe it'll be a field goal game. Chargers should win this game easily, but with the stats that you threw out about the passing game, I think it'll be a closer game than than expected. So Broncos plus five, that's an easy one for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they also should have just lost to Cleveland. So, I mean, there there is that. It's not like Cleveland's the greatest team on the planet. Yeah, and Cleveland's been a complete anomaly this year. You just have absolutely no idea week in, week out what's going to happen with that Browns team because they don't have a quarterback, right? Like, what do you, what'd you expect out of this team? Like, Nick Chubb can only run the ball for so long before opposing teams start game planning and finding holes. And um, until, until week 12 hits or 11 hits when Watson can come back, even then, you know, their season might be – a 500 base season as well agreed totally 
Sweet, everyone. Thank you so much for liking and subscribing to the podcast. We'll be back next week with your takeaways from week six, breakdown of this MLB playoffs, see where we are, see how Matt's predictions are doing. And then, you know, also, we'll be live on TikTok. So you can follow us there at PitcherBetSports. We changed it. And then we are on Instagram and Twitter at PitcherBetPod. I am Matt underscore guest on Twitter. Matt is Matt underscore E underscore Morris on Twitter. We will see you guys next week. Cheers.